Someone was asking the other day, why are there so many Christian songs with the word roar in, as in a lion roaring, talking about humans roaring or God roaring or even uh, the, the devil roaring. And my mind always goes back to C.S. Lewis and Aslan when we think of roaring. And also of uh, an instance I had in St. Albans Church when we were thinking the very first time about whether we were being called to help bring it back to life and a very strong sense of a lion roaring in there, wanting to breathe life into that building and bring it back into being, a God roaring. And in this passage in Exodus 4 that you've heard read by Stephen and Emma, we have an interaction with God that on the one hand begins as a very playful, almost comedy moment, but on three occasions accelerates into a full-blown roaring that should leave you sort of trembling and slightly scared of the character that previously you thought you were just having fun with. So let's look at the fun to begin with. Um, Moses is there talking to a burning bush, and the burning bush has uh, turned out to be the god of Abraham, Isaac, and uh, of Jacob. And he's been chatting away to this burning bush, and uh, the burning bush, in, as God has told him to go back and uh, set people free, and they, they, they're going to plunder the Egyptians, and they'll have lots of money, and he's revealed to him what is his name. And his name is hugely important in the Old Testament. It, a name depicts character. And so God has revealed to Moses for the first time his name and his character, which is the I am God. The I will be whatever I will be. I am without beginning. I am without ending. I just is in the colloquial London. I is. <laughs> God is. Uh, Yahweh. And Moses has had all of this experience after his years in the desert just being a, a shepherd in Midian. And now he's been sent back. Uh, and here we come into sort of uh, Act 2, Scene 2, where it's signs for Moses. And Moses says, I'm... Excuse me, Mr. I am God in the burning bush, sir. Uh, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, uh, the Lord didn't appear to you? Uh, he's already beginning to get into questioning mode. And the Lord says to him, what's in your hand? Interesting, he doesn't just answer him. He, he gets him involved in the conversation. Always a good way of doing supervision, that, asking more questions. Uh, what's in your hand? A staff, he says. Well, chuck it on the ground. And the most weird thing happens when he chucks the staff on the ground. Boom! It becomes a snake. And what does it say Moses does? He runs away from it. It's just a very comedy moment. The staff goes on the ground. Ah! <laughs> I mean, you'd be freaked out, wouldn't you? Next comedy moment, God says, pick it up by the tail. I mean, that's not what you want to do to a big stake the size of a staff, is it? You want to just keep running or at least kick it into the fire that's happily burning in the bush over there. But he does it, bless him. He does it. He reaches down. And as suddenly, he's got his staff back again. Wonderful moment. Uh, and then God says to him, um, okay, uh, that's going to help people believe that the Lord is the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and he says, right, take two. Stick your hand inside your cloak. Um, it's like, oh, what am I going to find in there? A bit of money that I hadn't, you know, I'd left hiding around my person. There'd be a nice little gold chain. Uh, am I going to come out with sort of nice gold dust on my fingers? It's come out leprous. It's got a flipping skin disease. You know, one of those things that it means you can't be in the community anymore. Like, he can't go back to the people with leprosy. And they'll stone him to death. And uh, it says, white as snow immediately. 
He says, now put it back in your cloak. And he puts it back in and it's restored. <laughs> and God, who presumably is laughing his head off at this point in heaven, is saying, well, if they don't believe the snake, maybe they'll believe the leprosy, <laughs> even if out of fear. Uh, and there's this sort of like a comedy moment going on there. Uh, and he says, well, go on in. I'll give you a third one as well. Just grab a bit of water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and as you pour it on, I'll turn it into blood. Uh, and uh, Moses is like, great, there's my uh, career as an amateur magician sewn up. I'll go on Israel's Got Talent and see if I win the gold prize, and uh, then I'll set my people free from there. Um, but he says, uh, to be honest, visual aid's one thing, but talking is quite another thing. And I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Uh, and God, at this point, is beginning to get a little bit like, come on. He says, well, who gave you a mouth? Who gives people tongues? Who lets them speak? Who, who gives sight to the blind? Is it not me? Now go, I will help you speak. And Moses, verse 13 of chapter 4, goes, <laughs> could you please put someone else on? I mean, this is like the start of Britain's Got Talent. You've got, in the old days, Ant and Dec standing along on the outside going, go on, on you go. And then suddenly, the person who's been gearing up to this moment all their life going, I don't think I can go on, I don't think I can go on, I don't think I can go on. And normally, on our TV, the nice person comes along, puts their hand on them and goes, don't worry, you can do it. Off you go. No problem. You're going to be a star. All of Egypt's going to love you. Israel's going to fall at your feet. You're going to be a great man, Moses. Don't worry. We're behind you. Off you go onto the stage. And then Simon Cowell goes, oh, <laughs> and you get an X. But God doesn't pick him up, doesn't spend a lot of time uh, stroking his ego or massaging him. Or saying, it's all right, Moses, I knew you grew up away from your parents. It's not your fault that you've got a lack of confidence. You grew up with that big brother who was now Pharaoh of Egypt. I can understand why you're a bit flaky on this. Don't worry, I'm just going to give you a bit of a cuddle here um, and, and stroke, your, stroke your feet, stroke your ego. Instead, God says, flipping, Moses, would you please just go and do what I've told you to do? And his anger burns against him and he says... What about your brother Aaron? I know he can speak well. You know, same flesh and blood. Probably you could both do it. And I've already arranged that he's on his way to meet you. He'll be glad to see you. You can, put, you can speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I'll help both of you speak, and we'll teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. In other words... Look, I've already sent back up because I guessed you were going to be flaky, or I knew you were going to be flaky. Here's God after all. Um, but you're not getting out of this. It's going to be your words that Aaron speaks. And take the staff because you're still in charge of the visual aids, even if you're not speaking clearly. Now, if you know how the story pans out, you'll remember that actually this isn't as harsh as it sounds. Because who is it who ends up talking to Pharaoh time and time again? It's... Moses, yeah? And sometimes we just need a divine shove up the backside, don't we? <laughs> to get on with something that we're not going to do otherwise. Um, sometimes good parents do that to their children. Uh, I can't go to school. I'm not going to school. I'm never going to school. Off you go. <laughs> oh, I had an all right day at school today, actually. And Moses is having one of those moments. But we have God burning anger there against him. And this is 
probably the most trivial of the examples here of the three times where God's anger burns in this chapter. So that's part one, a kick up the backside when you need a shove in the right direction. So Moses then has got to go to Egypt and he goes to see Jethro. Do you remember he's been his sort of protector and father-in-law who's made him all he is today from a wanderer in the desert to a successful shepherd herdsman? And he uh, gives him a very truncated account of the last two chapters of Exodus. Um, He just says, um, would it be all right if I go back to see if any of my relatives are still alive in Egypt? (laughs) This is not a testimony of great faith from one of the world's great religion founders, is it? It's not a, I've just had an experience in the desert, Jethro. And the Lord's come to me and said, go to Egypt and let my people go. It's more like uh, the mumbling, pathetic, half-cooling of someone who still hasn't really made their mind up about what they're doing next. Um, Would it be all right if I go back to Egypt and see if anyone's still alive? And Jethro's like, oh, God, get out of here. (laughs) I wish you well. Uh, And... And Moses, so he goes back and he takes his wife and sons with them and he takes the staff, which is what he's been told to do in verse 17. And the Lord says to him, uh, sort of a repeat of what he's heard already, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaohs all the wonders I've given you the power to do, but um, I will harden the heart of Pharaoh so he will not let the people go. So now Moses is actually on his journey. Now he's actually stepping out. God reveals that it's going to be harder um, than he'd so far said. And uh, maybe that's important, isn't it? Sometimes you've got to get going before God can tell you the next step. Lots of things in life are just difficult, aren't they? And if you knew how difficult they were going to be, you might never have got out of bed in the morning. (laughs) You might have just said, I'm just going to stay where I am. I can't cope with this. I quit already. And God has done the, uh, the comedy with Moses. He's done the comforting with Moses. And he's done the kick up the backside with Moses. And now that Moses is out of the door and heading in the right direction, he says, actually, it is going to be tough. It's not going to be the speaking bit that's tough. But what's going to be tough is the opposition you're going to face on the way. And the reason the opposition is so tough is because there is a character there who has been dealing with God's firstborn son, that is the people of Israel, in such a way that it has made him utterly angry with him. Pharaoh has been treating God's firstborn son, the people of Israel, so appallingly that God now, after 400 years of uh, this awful time, is about to bring judgment on the perpetrator of great evil and great violence. Uh, The son, of course, of the Pharaoh who had killed the Hebrew babies, the male babies en masse that Moses had escaped from, someone who had grown up in that sort of household where life was cheap and slave life was very cheap, not even real life perhaps, just a commodity to work with. And God has had enough of it. The revelation of God through the scripture is that God is slow to anger. Not that he is not angry, 
but that he is slow to anger. And it's a great blessing to us that God does get angry, albeit at a slow pace. If you live in a very closeted world, you might think, why should God get angry at anything? But if you just put your head above the parapet and engage with those who are most marginalized and poor and oppressed, it's not too long before you think, why doesn't God get more angry more quickly with the perpetrator of a horrible, violent crime? with the people who use the financial system to keep others impoverished around the globe. Did you know that the average child in this world walks six kilometers a day just to get water? That's the average child in this world. Should there not be anger at this from the creator of the world that we're so out of kilter with so many things? And where there is someone deliberately killing and oppressing and hurting his people, he is going to say, where you've hurt my firstborn son, nothing you have is safe. And if you go the whole hog on this and keep persisting on it, then I will take from you your firstborn son, just as surely as you've been taking my firstborn son from me. Now, again, you'll see as the passage outplays in future chapters that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart here is a shorthand because actually in the ten plagues that come, in the first five or six, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Every time Moses does something, Pharaoh goes, no, and he hardens his own heart. But in the last four or five plagues, it says God hardens his heart. Often people say, um, can God forgive anyone if they've done something really bad because of Jesus? Is it true that he can make the vilest sinner uh, the moment that they repent clean? And the answer is, yes, it is absolutely true. But it is also true that sin causes you to harden yourself away from God which can make it harder and harder and harder for you to repent. Perhaps is one of the reasons that it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven, in Jesus' words. Because again and again and again, often people who have got rich have got rich by turning their back on other people in need. Not always, but often. Until hearts have got harder and harder and harder. The same with crimes and violence and other things eventually sucking you in and having control on you. Can grace break through to the greatest sinners of all? Well, it broke through to Isaac Newton, the slave trader. He wrote, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It broke through to all sorts of people. It broke through to me. Maybe it's broken through to you. So yes, God can save everyone. But we can also incline our hearts so that they get harder and harder and harder away from him. And eventually, the book of Romans tells us, if we keep going our own way, God respects our decision and shoves us along that direction. He says, enough, enough. So the second burst of God's anger in this is the anger that he is going to outwork on Pharaoh. 
for the way that he's been treating his firstborn son, namely the people of Israel. God is not a God who does not get angry, thank goodness, but he is a God who is slow to anger and gives many, many chances for us to change and repent. And the third example is by far the most bizarre of all. Now, this is uh, verses 24 and 25. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. (laughs) Now, that looks like a way of finishing the story a bit too quickly, doesn't it? You know, like plot trailer at the end of Netflix episode series one, you know. It's it's the end of episode one, and suddenly uh, Moses is going off to set the people free from Egypt, and then suddenly you get God meeting Moses and is about to kill him, and then the credits come up, and you're like, whoa, what happened there? Um, We're going to have to tune in next week to see the the next episode or keep binging on the Netflix series. Uh, And here we have enter uh, heroine uh, number one, Zipporah, Moses' foreign wife. And she, by some extraordinary intuition um, or memory of Moses' story, takes a flint live, cuts off her son's foreskin, and touches Moses' feet with it, saying, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, uh, referring to circumcision. So she obviously has some instinct that if Moses and his family are going to do God's work, they better do it God's way. And one of God's ways was to teach his people that the males should be circumcised. And of course, Moses should have circumcised his children at the right time, eight days old, when it wouldn't have been so annoyingly difficult for the poor kids <laughs> as it was going to be now. Um, but she saves the day. And uh, there's no more comment on that at all. I think the thing we're supposed to learn from it is if we want to do things God's way, uh, do God's work, we should make sure we're doing it God's way. Don't assume just because you're doing the thing God wants you to do that if you're not doing it the way he wants you to do it, that he will bless you. That's very important for churches, isn't it? Church organizations for all of our lives generally. You may be able to tally up a list of things. You say, I'm doing God's work. But are you doing it the way he wants you to? With a circumcised heart, as John Wesley put it. Have you surrendered to him? It's like, but I'm trying to build a church for you, God. It's like, really? For me or for you? But I'm trying to live right for you, God. Really? For me or for you? Do we have, as John Wesley again said on many occasions, circumcised hearts, hearts that are dedicated to God saying, I I surrender to you, I want to be holy before you. So then verse 27 to the end, the Lord says to Aaron, you better go and meet Moses now. Um, And they kiss and Moses is able to tell Aaron everything, unlike what he told his father-in-law. It's an interesting relationship there. Uh, He brings together all the elders of Israel They hear, he sees the signs, they all believe, and uh, they are relieved that God has heard them, and they worship God. So Moses has now arrived with the Israelite people, Hebrew people in Egypt. He's got his mate alongside, they're ready to get going, and uh, we're really ready to get off next week as we look into Moses' interaction with Pharaoh. Let's just take away these things then. Are we doing God's work God's way? Um, 
do we know how fortunate we are to have a God who gets angry with sin, uh, but is slow to anger, and how kind and gracious he is allowing us to repent. And also, do we push God too far, saying, not me, someone else, not me, someone else, someone else, someone better than me, not me, not someone else. Eventually, he roars, <laughs> when before he can be quite funny. So what is God like to you today? Are you enjoying a relationship with God where it's jocular and fun, hands are getting leprous, snakes are coming out of staffs? Or is it a bit more on the side of him disciplining you? It's a good thing to be someone who's disciplined according to the Bible. It means he hasn't forgotten you, he's treating you as a good father would treat you, shoving you down the river if you need it. Um, but just make sure we get as close back to him as possible as we learn from the life of Moses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, too often we've thought of you as a very tame lion and forgotten that you roar and you have teeth. Thank you that so often you comfort and affirm us Come close to us and help us to be intimate with you. But you are also a God to be feared, to be respected, and to relate to you properly. Pray that you will expand our understanding of who you are, that we might revere and respect you as we should, through Jesus Christ our Lord.